Good evening and uh, thanks for coming to have the opportunity again to spend some time in God's Word. And uh, thank you for all those that have come and ventured out and for those who are watching online. It's always a privilege to be able to spend some time in God's Word and um, that's where I've been in the last day or so just to prepare what I think might be a helpful message for each and every one of us. What a blessing it is to, um, to open God's Word and to find a blessing. And uh, that's what God's Word is designed for. It's His last will and last testament to each and every one of us. Set down a couple of thousand years ago, but relevant and so helpful to each and every one of us today. We'll just open in prayer and then we'll move on. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful blessings of your word. We thank you for the protection that it offers, for the guidance that it gives us each and every day, for the hope that is held before us through the death and resurrection of our Lord and Saviour, for the wonderful glimpses of eternal life that has been given to us. We thank you, Lord, that you are all in all and that your glory will prevail. Accordingly, Lord, we pray that we will walk in obedience to you until such time as you call us home to be with yourself. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being called your people. And accordingly, we pray, Lord, that we will endeavour always to maintain a good witness and testimony in a world that is lost and dying. And we give you thanks and praise, Lord, that you have equipped us for the task through your word we give you thanks and praise now in our Saviour's precious and holy name. Amen. On uh, Sunday morning, Ruth and I attended the Anzac Day service at Jindra, the dawn service. We were quite amazed when we drove in. Uh, we could hardly find a park, even in Jindra. Well, normally in Jindra you can park anywhere. There were a lot of people there and as the, um, as the daylight dawned we could see that there were literally hundreds of people there at the dawn service. It's probably fair to say that they fully understood the reason that they were there. They, they didn't all fall out of bed at five o'clock, the warmth of their bed at five o'clock in the morning, not fully understanding the reason why they should do such a thing. To honour those who have served and made a sacrifice so that we can enjoy the privileges and the benefits that we have today. And uh, it's almost like a cost and a benefit analysis. The uh, people that crunch the numbers today like to talk about the cost on one side and the benefit on the other side. And we know in the wars that Australia's been involved in, there's been a terrible cost, horrific cost in money, in lives. We know that countless thousands of people have given their lives. Australia, it seems, has been involved in almost every war in the last 100 or 120 years. Australia has made a contribution 
Australia has seen the need to put the tyrants down. They keep emerging. And Australia has always seen a need from a moral perspective to put the tyrants down. But it has been at great cost. The social change that is brought about, we can hardly put a cost on it. The post-war life for those who have returned has been horrendous. Been horrendous. It was interesting to see this year the um, the mess that was made of Anzac Day, especially in Melbourne, where thousands of people were, were fenced off from the shrine and a few selected people were allowed to go there under the pretense that they were protecting people from COVID and yet 80,000 people were allowed to go to the football. So it tells you something about our priorities, doesn't it? But we were pleased to see so many people at Jindra and then when I picked up the paper on Monday morning, there was a picture there of the march in Albury and right on the very edge of the frame I could see Doug marching with those group of people and Doug would fully understand some of the costs that are involved in protecting the freedom that we have and as I was growing up I grew up on the farm out there almost surrounded by returned soldiers some of them have been affected by their wounds physical and mental and then you couldn't help but observe the fact of our social structure. There was unmarried women in great number. They were nurses at the hospital. They were teachers at the school. They were working in the shops. They had no hope of finding a husband and raising a family. The men were gone. The cost is horrendous. The benefits, well, we enjoy peace today and most Australians have lived in peace for a very long time. We have the rule of law, a proper legal system that protects our freedom. We've got free education, we've got a universal health scheme, we've got freedom of religion, we're free to worship and we've got all of God's blessings what a wonderfully blessed country we are. Our freedom of religion, though, is now under attack. There are those who want to trample upon the benefits that were being given by our returned soldiers. They're running around at the moment pulling down statues, burning a flag or two, creating a few new flags. They don't realise that the tyranny that we were able to defeat at great cost, it's their aim to replace it by a new tyranny, a new tyranny where freedom of association and freedom of worship is taken away from us. And all through Paul's epistles, almost in every one, he calls these people out and calls them by their name and I've selected Galatians 19 if you'd perhaps like to turn there Galatians 
sorry, um, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19 to 26. Galatians 5, 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings and such like, of the which I tell you before as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. It's not hard to draw a comparison between the sacrifice made by our soldiers over the uh, last 120 years or so to the sacrifice that our Lord and Saviour has made. The sacrifice that we celebrate at Anzac Day is really a sacrifice made by the few for the many, the sacrifice that our Lord and Saviour made was by one and for all. As it pointed out so clearly in the book of Hebrews, a once and only sacrifice, one sacrifice for all people. Today, when the, when the reset occurs that they're talking about at the moment, the great reset after the coronavirus is cleaned up, the Great Reset will have no place for the God of the Bible. It will not recognise the deity of Christ. It will have no place for the Lord. It will not recognise his existence. It will not even acknowledge his creation, and we know that that has already occurred. It will not acknowledge his teaching, not recognise his great love for what it is and will certainly not recognise or acknowledge the sacrifice that has been made. The wonderful promises of our Lord and Saviour's benefits will be spurned by those who believe that they've been given a life, the wonderful gift of life is a free pass to heaven. They really believe that the two things go together. Once you draw your breath you've automatically got your ticket to heaven. And this, we know, is not right. It will never happen that way. Our Lord and Saviour paid a debt that he didn't owe. And we, on the other hand, owe a debt that we could never repay. Our Lord and Saviour's sacrifice is complete. The cost of innocent blood was the sacrifice that was required. The wonderful benefits of the blessings 
we can see when our Lord told us clearly and um, especially in the Old Testament that to obey is better than sacrifice. The benefits of life's blessings. If you like to turn to Psalm 1 where it talks clearly there in that, that wonderfully written psalm and most of the psalms are wonderfully written. I don't know how they translated them from the Hebrew to the English but it seems as though nothing was lost in the beauty of the way that they're written. Talking here about the wonderful legacy that we inherit, that wonderful legacy. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a a, a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, but whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And here we can perhaps get a mental picture of the congregation of the righteous. What a wonderful picture that is. Obedience is the very best way. We sing in our Sunday school song. Obedience is the very best way. From 1 Samuel, we can perhaps turn to 1 Samuel 15 and uh, verse 22 states clearly there to obey is better than sacrifice 1 Samuel 15 verse 22 and Samuel said hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Talking about King Saul and his disobedience and the price that was paid and uh, back back in Psalms again it's uh, again beautifully written reminder in Psalm 51 and uh, verses 16 and 17 familiar Psalm 16 and 17 where David said after his terrible sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah the Hittite. David writing there said, For thou despisest not sacrifice, else would I give it. 
Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. They will not despise. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18, again, talking about the wonderful inheritance that we have as a consequence of uh, our Lord's sacrifice. Ephesians and uh, chapter 1 and verse 18, if somebody can find it more quickly than I can. Getting there now, Ephesians 1.18 The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his, his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? We can be heirs of the Father and joint heirs with Son, joint heirs with Christ, the Son of God. More spoken of that in Romans chapter 8 where that quote comes from. Heirs of the Father and joint heirs with Christ. What a wonderful privilege it is that we have to make no sacrifices, that simply by our obedience we can find a taste of that wonderful heavenly kingdom that has been prepared for each and every one of us. And uh, more on the same subject in the, the Gospel of John and, the, and the chapter 14 and the first three verses, that wonderful assurance that Christ has given to us in the Gospels let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know and the way ye know. And uh, it's been good for us that Thomas, in verse 5 of that chapter, asked the question, and then our Lord and Saviour went on to know, to full, fill in the details there and to assure us that we have no reason to let our heart be troubled if we believe in God and walk in obedience to him. In my Father's house are many mansions. What a wonderful privilege that is. There we may be also if we're doers of the word. We need to be doers of the word and not hearers only, but doers and to have a desire to walk in obedience. It is set before us all through scripture, the things that please God. And as we work our way through the scriptures we can truly ascertain the heart of God by knowing the things that please him and the things that do not please God and uh, there's some wonderful summaries in the scripture that give us a help to understand our response to the sacrifice that our Lord and Saviour has made some of them are more complex than others, but there's one that I've, I've mentioned before when I've been um, 
preaching a message and uh, one very simple one in Micah in the Old Testament in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 and verse 6 says he has showed thee O man what is good and then asks the question and what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God to do justly we all have a sense of justice even from from the age of a child if a child thinks that he doesn't get his fair share of the the lollies uh, or some other treat or privilege his sense of justice is pretty quickly offended they pick you up pretty quickly if they think that ju- they haven't been treated in a just manner. That sense of justice we should have, as mature Christians, we should have a sense of justice. To do what is right, to walk in obedience and to do what is right in spite of the cost. And the second clause in that passage of scripture from Micah says to love mercy. To be soft-hearted and to love mercy. To those that have a need, always be ready to do what you can to fill that need. In the book of Proverbs it says in one place there, withhold not good from those to whom it is due if it is within thy power to do it withhold not good to those to whom it is due sometimes it's pretty hard to know to whom it is due I've been approached on the street multiple times by people who look as though life is giving them a pretty rough time they usually ask for money and uh, quite often I know they go to pastors and and ministers and uh, they're short of a meal or need something and I know our pastors have to be very careful that they don't give them money. The last one that I encountered uh, said that he wanted money for a bus fare to get home and uh, I asked him about where home was and uh, why he wanted to go home, did he have a family and everything else. At that point he got pretty vague, he wasn't prepared to say where he was, which bus he was catching and where he was going. And uh, we need to be careful in that way. I remember one of my early ministers out at Culkin, whenever someone like that came around, he had a wife and young children, didn't necessarily want those people in the home, so he sent them up to the local cafe to get a meal. The local cafe owner was a Greek, a lot of Greek cafes in those days, not a Christian, but he was always prepared to um, provide a meal for these people. But he never made our minister pay for it. It was always done as a free gift. He loved mercy and, and felt that that was something that he could do to help people along the way. And the third clause in that passage of Micah is to walk humbly with thy God. The scriptures have a lot to say about humility. What a wonderful thing it is if we can 
even claim to be humble. You know, and the very act of claiming to humble, you know, claiming to be humble, can put us in a situation where some people might doubt that we are. But to walk humbly before our God, if we can even get halfway along that road, what a wonderful step of, of obedience that is to be able to walk humbly with our God. We need to make these changes in our life. In, in Paul's letter to, to uh, the, the church at Corinthians, and there's a passage here that I'd just like to, uh, to finish with. The Apostle Paul, in his inimitable way, sums up so often and is able to translate the wonderful truths of the gospel into practical reality so well for us. In, in chapter 6 of Second Corinthians, the, the Apostle Paul writes, We then as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succoured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offence in anything, that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in, with, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labours, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armour of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. That passage here talking about changing our willful nature into God's approval. And what a challenge that is. We're all willful we're born in sin and we do whatever we can to protect ourselves, to uh, sometimes put ourselves forward. But we need to change that willful nature into God's approval. Our liberty, our freedom has been purchased at great cost. The cost of, our, of innocent blood at Calvary. And we need to be able to translate our liberty, the liberty that our Lord and Saviour has given to us, translate that into loyalty. What a wonderful thing loyalty is. Sometimes we're put to shame. We can be put to shame, would you believe, by a dog. Is there anything more loyal than a dog? Quite often they're more loyal than people. For the cost of a bit of pal you get undivided loyalty and devotion. And sometimes it puts us to shame. Our loyalty and our devotion sometimes fall short because of all the things that clutter up our lives, our willfulness, the fact that we were born in sin, the fact that we sometimes don't recognise sin for what it is, or want to rationalise it away. 
Our prayer should be that we can change our willful nature into God's approval and that our liberty should translate into loyalty, our liberty that has been won at great cost. I pray that those that celebrated Anzac Day might spare a few thoughts for the ultimate liberty, the ultimate freedom that our Lord and Saviour has given to each and every one of us. What a great privilege it is to be able to claim, to lay claim to the salvation that has been purchased for each and every one of us. Our faith is required. In the book of Hebrews it says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith and loyalty are required here. And I pray that each and every one of us will reassess our lives on a constant basis each time we open the word to see, to examine our lives and be honest about them, to be truthful about our relationship with our Lord and Saviour. What a wonderful blessing it is and a privilege it is to be a part of God's family. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy that you've shown to us so freely. We pray, Lord, that our response to your love and grace and mercy might be deemed to be acceptable in your sight. Help us with our witness and testimony each and every day as we venture into a lost and dying world. Help us, Lord, by using your word as our guide and our Lord and Saviour as, as our example to maintain that effective witness and testimony. And we thank you, Lord, for the promise that you've given to us that you will empower us for the task if we are simply willing to be a humble servant in your service. We give you thanks and praise, Lord, for your love and grace and mercy and all honour and glory belong to you. Amen.